Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the digital marketing podcast for tech marketers who are sick of shady, sleazy, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Renier. So if you want new innovative marketing ideas to test and grow your business, this episode is for you. And my guest today is Josh Fester. At the time of the episode, Josh was working for autopilot.com, which is a marketing automation tool. But since then, he has uh, left to create his own agency uh, called Badass Marketers and Founders. Uh, he started a few companies before, a few startups, uh, but wasn't successful. And he learned a lot of lessons from those experiences. So I've discovered Josh Uh, through his Facebook group called Badass Marketers and Founders. And I was kind of blown away by the amount of free information he would share. And he has a very specific way to share information. He would just basically share with you Google Drive folders full of Google Docs with tactics and strategies and thoughts, all for free. You don't need to enter any email address or anything like this. And I found that absolutely amazing, which is kind of why he's on the show. So... In this episode, we are mentioning a few innovative yet ethical digital marketing ideas that you can test in your business tomorrow. As usual, have a listen. Let me know what you think. Don't be afraid to send me emails with your questions. George, thank you so much for your time. I'm going to tell you a little story to the listeners. A few months ago, I was searching for Facebook groups because I wanted to, to start to, to get new ideas for my marketing. And I was thinking of launching this podcast and I wanted to get to know whether or not there were other podcasts out there that were speaking about the same stuff. So I started this search about, you know, growth marketing, marketing, digital marketing groups, and I literally couldn't find any that seemed good. I joined a few. After a week, I got spammed by, you know, articles in my feeds <laughs> about... Instagram automation 101, that kind of stuff. I just couldn't take it. And I was really getting annoyed. I was like, is there no free Facebook group anymore where you can actually, you know, connect with people and reach out to them? And then I discovered your group. You renamed it Badass Marketers and Founders recently, but I joined it and I was quite surprised to be, to tell you the truth, because usually that's what happens. You join, you receive a lot of articles that are nonsense, a lot of spam, and there's no engagement on the, on the group. But then, I looked at the post and every single post there was unique. I'd never seen it before. And it wasn't linking to anything external, to any external website. It was just either the post was on Facebook or a link to a Google Doc. And every single post got 500 likes, 600 likes, or, and many, many comments. I was like, what the, like, what the fuck? Like, this is really cool, <laughs> right? So kudos to you. That was Thank really you. impressive. And that's why I've, I've been in touch with you. That's why I wanted to talk to you. So the first question to you would be, you say that you're a gross, a gross marketer and you would, you would connect with a lot of uh, gross marketers, but do you think growth marketing isn't just marketing at the end of the day? Yeah, I think growth is a framework and it's also a mindset. So it can be applied to anything, right? If you want to be an actor, you could use growth marketing to become an actor because because of framework and it's measured on such variables as like cost, time, expected result, it's really meant for you to just chase uh, the lowest hanging fruit as fast as you can. But it's up to you to, if that fails, 
to iterate again and chase like another low hanging fruit. Does that make sense? It does. And do that with any industry. My, my concern here, like I met a lot of marketers in the last few years and I would consider myself a, a digital marketer, but this is what I think good digital marketers do naturally, right? Yes. I would say like, this is what good digital marketers do naturally, but there aren't many good digital marketers. That's the issue. If you look at the realm of marketing and I would say even in Silicon Valley where people would consider there to be some of the best marketers in the world, I still meet very few. And it's just a lot of cloud space in a sense where because companies get funding so fast, marketers rise with the company and then they can say, hey, I am head of growth for this company that got $5 million in funding. But it doesn't mean that they're profitable. It doesn't mean that they're going to succeed. In fact, it may mean that as soon as they reach even 50 mil in ARR, that they're going to cut half the team anyways, <laughs> just to recoup a lot of their losses. So it's navigating those type of waters, which can be very treacherous. It's like, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, before we dive in into, into marketing tactics and strategy and talk about that in more detail, could you, could you define what you mean by a good marketer or a good growth marketer? How would you quickly define this person? So I would say the best growth marketers today are actually founders, right? If you know how to market a company and you know how to find product market fit, then you should become a founder. And that's where I see the best growth marketers go. So if you want to look at the growth marketers that have made it and the best of the best, they're all founders now. And I think that it's not, it's not a coincidence at all. That's an interesting definition. Yeah. If you're looking for a good growth marketer within a company, and maybe someone that's going to push it to the next level, it's usually the guy working on side projects that's really obsessive about them. So for example, I remember I went to my boss and I said, hey, can I work on this Instagram automation project? And we had seven Instagram accounts because we we're a hyper-local events company. We had a, we're doing events in seven cities. And he said, no, he says, I don't understand what Instagram automation is, doesn't make sense to me. I didn't understand what it was either, but I knew people were getting results. Went ahead and did it anyways. In three months, I had seven Instagram profiles automated. It was on track to bring in $200,000 of revenue that year to the company. And it was entirely automated. And I was just thinking to myself, I was like, oh my gosh, there are so many other things out there like this. But it's that marketer, right, that's doing those side projects, even when someone says no, because they see what's possible. And all you have to do is reverse engineer it, right? And if you can reverse engineer it, then you're, you're fine. But yeah, that takes a lot of skill in of itself, though. <laughs> yeah, but that's an interesting way of, of uh, viewing this because I haven't heard that before. It's actually a very good definition. So if you were a founder one day, like you, you created a startup before, but if you were about to start a company again, that's probably the type of person you would look for to join your team. Like people who are working on side projects, people who've proved that they were able to, to, to get something from nothing, absolutely nothing, with zero money or almost zero money, no employees, no traction, to a project that has traction, that has customers and all this kind of stuff, right? Yeah, absolutely. But that's very difficult because most people aren't resourceful enough to do that from scratch. And they don't believe they can, right? So if you don't have um, any money for side projects, you're not going to think you can make any money. And it's simply not true. You know, you have the internet, you have cold email. Cold email alone can make you a lot of money if you know how to use it, right? And that doesn't cost you anything. True, apart from your time. 
<laughs> which can be quite costly for some people. Right. So before we dive in into more details into marketing, I think you have a lot of, of stuff you can tell us about. I just want to go back to you a little bit. It's not something you necessarily talked about a lot. You do a lot of interviews with other founders, but you're not, you don't necessarily talk about your, your, yourself a lot. So I learned that you come from a, a kind of a traditional Jewish family. Uh, you even have your bar mitzvah in Israel. And so you, you had this culture uh, from a young age that was quite different from when you went to high school and then college, right? But then I, I heard an interview from you You're saying that even from a young age, you are very driven and very ambitious. And I'm just curious about, was there any particular event or part, a particular story that you have to tell us about why you were so driven and ambitious from a young age? I think from a young age, it's hard to say like what drove me when I first started college. I think that was purely from playing high school sports. And when I played high school sports, Uh, my family was pretty strict regarding uh, working out, exercising. My mom owns a yoga studio. She's, and I think it's the second oldest in San Diego. And for reference, she's owned the yoga studio for like 40 years. And my dad was ex-kickboxer, was a Marine sergeant. So super hardcore on, hey, have your shit together and go play football. So I became a great football player. I was going to play D1 before I got a pretty bad injury. And then when I went to college, I still had that same competitiveness, but really just toned down a lot after I got injured. And from there, I would say it was seeing that my parents were getting older. That was a big one. So what many people don't realize is that, uh, especially young entrepreneurs, is that their parents are going to get older and someone's going to have to take care of them, that they want a family, that they have to make enough money to have a family. Uh, and that was something I started to realize just far earlier, especially uh, my dad has full PTSD. So um, that's from being in the military. And then my mom recently had surgery. So just knowing all that stuff was going to happen at some point. And yeah, it's uh, and it feels good knowing that I'm in a better position to help them than I was a while ago because I saw this coming. Um, but most people don't. And I could really hurt their career, right? I was just talking to my friend the other day and his mom came down with an illness and he quit his job because he couldn't take it. And that's a shame, you know, you know, you never want to be in that position. Well, thanks for sharing all of that. Uh, I really appreciate it. Yeah. So I understand now it's funny because it's kind of the same for me. Um, I have a lot of siblings and I know that one day I'm going to have to take care of them because I'm the, the eldest and This is the reason why I'm very driven as well. This is the reason why I wake up early every day. This is the reason why I, I do all of those side projects and, and I want the best for myself because I know that the, the resources I'm putting aside will be useful for them. So thanks for sharing that again. Uh, I would say having a dad with, who's a, a kickboxer probably was quite <laughs> a good education as well. He didn't really do anything bad, did you? Oh man, that, that was crazy. He was, he was something else. I mean, he's, I think he's around close to 70 uh, right now and he still has a six pack. I mean, he is just, he's, yeah. he's this kind of, uh, of, of guy that you see on Instagram that like, he's, <laughs> he's better, like he has a better build than you <laughs> and he's like <laughs> twice your age. You're like, fuck. Uh, <laughs> Very true. Right. So 
I don't want to necessarily advertise the fact that you dropped out of college and stuff because it doesn't necessarily mean that people who drop out of college are successful, but you did drop out of college and you launch a business, you launch a startup with a few friends. Without getting into the, uh, a lot of details about it, because you talked about it a few times before, and, and I guess we can share that in the show notes, did you, because it didn't make much money, how did you sustain yourself? Did you, did you have your parents helping you financially? Oh man, I had barely any money saved up. I think I had around $5,000 in total saved up. And I was living in the garage of this college house and it cost me, I think around $450 a month to live in the garage. So I was just like eating oatmeal, peanut butter, <laughs> and like just all this really like bad college food. I mean, it wasn't like super bad for your health, but gosh, eating the same food every day can be pretty miserable. And I just lived on that for a while. And I think... I don't know if I, was, I did some other work during the time. I might have, uh, but nothing major at all. Nothing I can remember. And yeah, that was brutal. And everybody was just down for the cause because I had to convince uh, several other college students to basically join me and say, hey, we're going to work full time on this with you. And that was the first time I had to step into a leadership position to really get people to believe in something where there was no path to monetization, to making money. But we just knew something was happening that was good. And yeah, we got a ton of traffic. We got around 24,000 views a day and actually visitors a day, but we had no idea how to make money from it, which is hilarious. Now kind of think about it because that's like the best problem to have, right? And we were just young college kids and I was teaching myself web dev from scratch, uh, just trying to plug away. And gosh, man, so, so difficult. So even though it did fail, I did learn a ton about digital marketing, how to drive traffic and web dev. And that was super helpful later in my career. So I'm, I'm quite impressed that you, like usually when I hear stories of, of failed startups from, from people, usually it's from people who had the means to sustain themselves, even if there was no money behind, uh, even if they had you know, no money from, from the startup, they had money from friends or parents or whatever. So it's good to hear that you actually had your own money saved and you just grind it for like a few, a few months or even a year to, to try to, uh, to launch this business. So that's quite interesting. So just for the listeners, um, you launched, it was a publication, right? It was kind of an online newspaper. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So lifestyle publication, uh, and it's similar to elite daily, which is just junk content to be honest and totally honest about that. It wasn't the best type of content I was putting out. Very clickbaity performed super well on Facebook. The cost per click was, less than a cent. So we were just really taking advantage of Facebook at the time. It was amazing to be on Facebook. Oh my gosh. You can't do that now. But yeah, at that time, everything was just uh, working so well regarding traffic. And we tried using like Google AdSense, Taboola, a lot of different affiliate programs, but we were all over the place. We found like a cool hack to recruit writers, which is during that time, you could message anyone on Facebook, as long as you had a friend in common with them. And if you didn't have a friend in common, you could pay a dollar to get to their primary inbox. So we just had some friends join us and we used all their Facebook profiles to message thousands upon thousands of could-be writers. And we recruited 150 writers in three months. Um, so we're just pumping out tons of content. And it was um, we did get some good organic traffic from some of the content, but mostly from Facebook. And because we were just putting out so much content, we just started hitting every niche. So we're like, oh, we were recruiting a ton of writers who like travel. Let's open a travel category. Creating a ton of writers who like food. Let's open a food category, right? So all of a sudden you're just spread 
super, super thin. And then you're trying to monetize and you have no idea what to sell. <laughs> so you think, do you think one of the biggest mistakes you've done at this stage was not to specialize in one niche uh, and instead trying to reach everybody? Absolutely. I think it was going also for shiny objects. Um, we touted our visitor number a lot. We're like, oh, we're getting this many visitors and we would never talk about revenue. <laughs> like we were cliche, cliche, uh, first time startup founders. <laughs> yeah, but I appreciate you, uh, yeah, mentioning that because it's true. It, it sounds like the cliche, but at least you learn from it and you were in the dark side of the, of, of the force for a few months. And now you came up from like, you're in the light side or at least at least 90% of what you do is the light side. I will talk about <laughs> the dark side a bit more in the next few minutes. So, so that's a nice transition to what I wanted to talk to you about next. Um, as you know from the podcast, as you listened to an, one episode already, I'm pretty, I'm pretty intense, I would say, into the, the fight against bad marketing, what I qualify bad marketing, and the fact that I believe that marketers can grow and get more leads and visitors without having to use any shady, manipulative tactics, right? So from your perspective, and you've been on the other side of, uh, of the force, what do you think, why do you think marketers have a bad reputation in general? I would say marketers have a bad reputation because they don't understand the fundamental principle of giving value without expecting anything in return. And to do that over and again on a consistent basis. And it's hard because you don't really see the positive outcome, like the light at the end of the tunnel until maybe you work two years on giving value, right? So for example, you start off as a writer and you could be a content marketer, but the content you produce when you're the first year as a content marketer is trash. Like you have to produce a thousand articles before it becomes really good. <laughs> and people are actually willing to read it and maybe even willing to pay you to read it, right? So uh, you're gonna go through that whole period of your life without providing value, but trying. And most people don't wanna go through that they just want to just hit you up right away and say, just try this out, do this because they don't want to write the thousand articles. You know, they don't want to do that. And it's a shame because that that's what it takes. Um, that's why a few marketers are truly, you know, great at what they do. They're willing to put in the time. So there's a lot of talk about that. I mean, adding value is, 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 is something that everybody's talking about. A lot of people are talking about it. Not a lot of people are actually doing it. So, I mean, your Facebook group is for marketers, you're a marketer, so it's kind of easy to know what value you can bring to those people because you, I, I suppose you look, in, you, you look in the mirror and you kind of know the issues you struggle with and therefore you know how to help them. But I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know, how would you briefly explain to a marketer in a niche that is not necessarily marketing to add value? How do you actually add value to people's lives? So I would say the first step of adding value is to understand what people's desired result is, right? Um, so they say there's a success gap whenever you sell a product. So you sell a product to solve a pain point, but the success gap is maybe they use your product and solve just a little bit of their pain point. Um, doesn't solve the whole thing. So everything in between is that gap, right? So how can you solve that? Um, and if you really want to dig down to people's pain points and it comes to like just understanding who they are and being very empathetic, um, it's no more than that. If, for example, if you like walk in someone's shoes, such as like being a founder, being a marketer, it's very easy to speak to them in that language. Like I've been a founder and I've been a marketer and I've been doing, um, been in the startup world for over five years now. So I can speak to those type of people 
It's not like I have to constantly ask them questions. I do it from time to time just to like get better and like really try to get in their heads. But for the most part, I'm pretty good at speaking to them. And I don't think most, even like professional content marketers, even the best, it's very hard for them to write a blog post uh, that has to do with the industry they don't know about if they didn't actually like walk in those shoes, right? Very difficult. They try to actually get the person whose role it is within the company uh, who also represents their target customer to add into that blog post. So the person's expertise. So for example, whenever we have an article go out on autopilot's blog, I look over it because I want to make sure that's reading like it's uh, it's great for the marketer. It's great for the founder. When they read it, they're stoked about it. So that's something we haven't mentioned yet, but you are, you are the a growth evangelist for autopilot, which is a, yeah, in my own words, without using the official uh, description of it, it's a, it's a way to build customer journeys, right? You can, you can, it's a drag and drop interface and you can use different channels, connect each other and create a personalized experience for, for your, for your prospect customers, right? Correct. And then, uh, the evangelist side is basically a made up title. <laughs> right. I'm glad you said it. Um, but like, just to come back to the value, and I know, as I said, marketing, marketers talk a lot about that, but not a lot of people will actually do it. The reason why I, I really wanted to talk to you was because you actually do it. And I'm a witness of it. Almost every day you post something of value on, on the group and you give access. So you have this giant Google Drive folder with most of your articles that you wrote, with most of the tactics that you use, most of the strategies that you use for ac free access for anybody. And they don't have to give their email address. They don't have to do any of that. They just, you just share that to the members of the group. And I found that when, the, when I first saw it, I was like, wow, that's the first time I've seen that. Because usually what happens is that you, you're going to create a lead magnet. You're going to have to enter your email address. You're going to receive a PDF summary of a blog post that you wrote five years ago that is not valuable at all. Then you're going to have to wait another week to receive something else, right? While you did the exact opposite. And that's why the case, the, you know, the case in point is right here. I wanted to talk to you because you provided value. I trusted you in return and I, 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 and I respected you in return. And this is why we're talking to, uh, together today. So I think it's a great example of, of adding value. Don't be afraid to To, to teach everything you know and to give that away for free because it's going to pay off. Uh, and the example is right here. So thanks for that. Now, another thing I wanted to talk to you about, right, regarding bad marketing, as I mentioned, um, or shady marketing or, or, or the dark side of the force, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> There are a few tactics that, that you mentioned um, in your folders uh, that I read. So one of them is, for example, you, you explain how to, to scrape emails from LinkedIn to in order to contact those people and cold email them about specific things. And so you explain how you actually grew the Facebook group, which I found quite interesting. You've, you've identified LinkedIn discussion groups in, in different areas uh, around marketing that didn't have a lot of engagement. And you actually then found a way to get the email of those members and email them about your Facebook group that had much more engagement. Is that, is that correct? That's true. Um, you're waiting for the question, huh? Um, so I'm, for this particular tactic, you, I, I believe that you used it in the right way in a sense that you knew that as exactly as you said before, there was a gap between 
what those people wanted to get and, and where they wanted to go. And you knew that your Facebook group was more valuable than the LinkedIn group they were part of. So you used that to add value to their life. And there was no strings attached. They could just join for free. Where do you draw the line when using those ta tactics like scraping emails between good marketing and bad marketing? Well, it's sort of funny because I think Gmail would do that for you, right? So if you send too many emails that people don't like, they'll just ban your account. <laughs> Fair enough. And yeah, I think that is, is an interesting tactic because, Grant, there are some people that responded, hey, don't email me again. But I would say 90% of the responses I received were positive. And that's when I knew that there was something going on. Um, so I was like, maybe I have something. This is cool. Um, the first, you know, email email blast I shot out was probably to around 150 people just testing. And I was like, I wonder if this would work, right? And it did. And I was like, oh my gosh, wow, this is this is cool. And if you find something like that, you have to double down and probably, you know, well in this case, I just 12x'd it. <laughs> It's because it doesn't always exist forever. Uh, and as soon as I started telling people about what I was doing, other people started doing it. So, and I noticed that, but it was a much harder for them because I already did it. And the funniest thing though, is when you email, a, a, let's say a LinkedIn group and you say, hey, come to this Facebook group. Sometimes you email the organizer of that LinkedIn group, right? <laughs> so I got a couple emails back that were like, are you serious? Like, so, <laughs> that was so funny. <laughs> It's great. There are other uh, stuff you mentioned, such as automation on Instagram and that kind of things. And I think just to answer the question myself, because it's an interesting topic and I don't, I, I think there's a lot of gray area in marketing. As soon as it becomes a best practice, as soon as you discovered, I, I, I'm not even going to call that a hack or a tactic or anything, because it's, to me, it's, it's actually a very clever way to contact people. And I started to email people and called email people before. As long as it's valuable, I think it's okay to do it. But I think as soon as you explain and describe that, this tactic to people, it becomes a, a so-called best practice. And this is where exactly, as you mentioned, it's starting, it's starting to lose value, right? Over time, because everybody else is doing it. Therefore, it just leverage uh, the playing field, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it happens really fast because especially if you're marketing to marketers and founders, right? <laughs> then, then it happens even faster. <laughs> That's probably where every tactic is going to be used up super, super quick. So there are many tactics out there that you can still use, but you just can't use it for that crowd. Um, you can use it for people who maybe it's like the RV market, right? People, these people are pretty old. They deal with RVs and that's a big market. And yeah, so you just have to be careful, you know, pick and choose wisely. So I'm just curious about, have you ever done anything that you regretted uh, where you were like, well, that's not really ethical or that's not really cool to do that. I wouldn't, li I wouldn't like people to do that to me. Have you ever had that when you were doing, like you trying new, new, new tactics? Um, I would say not necessarily when trying new tactics, but just when learning how to provide value to people in the beginning and not knowing how to do it. Um, not even knowing that you're doing something wrong. Like many people that reach out to you that immediately ask for a favor, don't know that they're doing anything wrong, right? They just haven't really understood the idea of giving value. So it's almost like you're at this innocent state, but you have to learn how to get out of it. Uh, I just remember hitting up one of my 
connections to get a job out of college. And he was co-owner of the Padres, which is San Diego's baseball team, as well as he also ran this hedge fund. Uh, I think his family is worth around $500 million and had good connections with him. And I emailed him asking for like an intro for an internship. And he said, he's like, Hey, you haven't talked to me for X amount of time. Like, why would I even do this for you? Like, this is not how you talk to, this is not how you network with people. Basically gave me this huge lecture and he said it would help me. And it did. So now I think whenever I do anything, I always try to give value first. Um, with that said, you know, you didn't mention Instagram automation. I would say Instagram automation is unethical, to be honest. I appreciate and, that. So tell me why. Anymore, though. So, but yeah. Tell me why. Tell me <laughs> I why. Said <laughs> so why. I said it. <laughs> yeah, you said it. And I know it's like, it feels better, doesn't it? It does feel better. <laughs> so tell me why. And you're having bots like accounts, right? So you're basically playing with people's emotions, people that don't know that you're doing it. And that's wrong. It's, for example, let's say I'm this 19 year old guy and I have, and I'm on Instagram. I have 30 pictures uploaded, just got into college. And all of a sudden I have all these people commenting on my pictures that they think I'm cool, right? And I also I feel really cool and I start checking Instagram more. But these are just bots and they're getting me, they're pulling all these emotional responses from me that are not doing any good to my life really. Um, they're validating something that in a way where maybe it shouldn't even be validated. So Instagram has, has recently shut down a service, an automation service. And I think, I think they're going to go full force into like blocking all of those. To be honest, I think Twitter should do the same. There's so many bots out there. It's not as bad, it seems, as Instagram, even though as soon as you tweet something like growth hacking, you literally get 50 you know, <laughs> likes on the tweets, almost instantly followers that just follow you and follow you back. I think if I have to choose a tactic that is going to die pretty soon, that will be a social media automation. If Twitter and Instagram are, are getting you know, need, need to grow revenue, they're going to understand pretty quickly that automation are actually killing their, their growth. Yeah, I think that was a big problem with many of these platforms. So they relied on automation too much. That Twitter liked all the fake Twitter accounts that were doing all these automated actions because it made their platform look like it had more activity. So they could imp approach investors, um, so they could attract more employees um, and get higher valuation. That was... Um, all those fake numbers really helped them because nobody really knows, you know, how many, right? That's the question that nobody really knows the answer to. People have some guess, but I mean, it's, there's this huge interval that, I mean, it could be half the interactions on Twitter could be fake. You know, that wouldn't even surprise me. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's even more than that, to be honest, uh, in Twitter specifically. So do you still do, uh, Instagram automation at the minute? No, I don't do Instagram automation anymore. I do engagement groups. So what I found out, especially after Instagram shut down Instagress and really just started hammering down automation, that you had to either make a jump or like stay in a dying field. That Instagram automation would just be like this dying field and it's not going to exist in a year from now. But what is going to exist is collaboration. Now engagement groups, it's basically just networking with high level Instagram players. 
the hard part is though, is you have to have leverage to get into these groups. Like you have to have a large account already. So you can either buy an account or you can work with an agency who runs a bunch of these higher level accounts and will just um, hook your account up in a sense where let's say they have 20 fitness accounts. You start a fitness account. They're just going to tag you in their pictures, like your pictures. So it'll go from maybe 500 followers all the way up to 5,000. Gotcha. There's an interesting sentence that you just said. And I think it's the it's the answer to words. Should I do this tactic or should I avoid it? Will it will this be here in a year? And I know that a lot of growth marketers or growth hackers would would try to jump in the next thing that they can do right now to to grow an extra five percent. But I would definitely recommend to avoid that and to focus on the long term thing. You know, will in five years will will people still connect and collaborate with each other? Absolutely. Will it be on Instagram? I don't know. Will it be somewhere else? Yes. Yeah. So create, build relationships and add value because that's never going to change, right? Yes, that's never going to change. And that's one of the things that I started realizing around I think a couple of years ago was the most important thing in becoming an influencer in industry is not how skillful you are now, but it's what's going to give you longevity, Right. So what's going to be useful today and what's going to be useful in five years? And to me, I was like, okay, well, video skills, shooting video will probably still be around. Writing will still be around. So if you can, if you nail down copywriting and you nail down video, um, you're going to be useful for a very long time. And those are two skills that I feel like are, are so underrated, to be honest. And while everybody's learning things that are just getting outdated like left and right. You learn Facebook ads and the interface gets updated like a month later. You know, <laughs> it's rough. <laughs> it is rough. It's like focus on something that uh, that's relevant and will be relevant for a while. Now, I'm glad you said that because I agree completely. Now, I wanted to get into one tactic in particular that you mentioned. And usually, I don't really like talking about tactics because sometimes, exactly as we said, after a year, it just doesn't work anymore or it's not something that is going gonna, is gonna to work ever again. But I, I have a feeling that this particular thing I want to talk to you about will be there in five or 10 years. So I wanted to talk to you about Quora and the way you've actually managed to get a lot of people following you on Quora and, and managed to grow your Facebook group this way. So Quora, for, for people who don't know, is a kind of a Q&A website where you can ask a question and people can answer. And the best answers get upvoted. And obviously, the, more, the best answers usually get a lot of, of visibility and the person who wrote it will also get a lot of visibility. So I, I think it's a tactic that not a lot of people are aware of. A lot of people will be aware of Quora or any other Q&A website, but they don't really know how to add value and how to, to, to grow their profile or their company's profile this way. So I, I'd like to get into a, a quick how-to step-by-step for listeners to understand how to actually leverage this particular network. And if in five years Quora is dead and it's another, I'm pretty sure that there will be another Q&A website out there um, where you can use the exact step-by-step -step to, to, uh, to grow. So the first thing you say is to find the right answer, the, first, the right question, sorry, to answer on Quora. So can you tell me a little bit more about this? Yeah, so one of the things I found out was with Quora, if you're a great copywriter and um, you can strategically answer questions such as uh, finding ones where they're mo most likely to pop off. And what I mean by that is they have a ton of followers 
and there's not that many answers. And my role is always seven to one. And that just helped me set something where I was like, okay, I know that this is more likely to pop off. And I was just chasing after those. Uh, no specific reason, but except that I knew that seven to one looked like a good ratio and might as well test it out. And it worked. So then I also dove into, you know, how do you write really good copy for Quora? Well, they love personal stories. Um, so if you have an interesting life um, or you can make things sound interesting through like just good copywriting, then you can write really good answers. And they don't just want um, personal stories, but they also want personal pictures as well. So if you have pictures of your life, pictures of those moments, and you can include those too, then that's gold. Yeah, I think if you're looking to really use Quora to further your career or for leads, then you want to focus on niches. It could be very tempting to jump into like more lifestyle stuff or personal development because it gets far more interaction. But those are very low quality leads. Like you want to stay in like B2B startups, especially if you're in that scene, that's who you're marketing to. And they have tons of different niches, but definitely don't jump into the ones that just for the engagement, make sure to focus on the quality. It makes a huge difference. So I, I think listeners don't realize that necessarily don't realize that Quora gets a lot of attention from people. It's a very well-known website, not necessarily because a lot of people will go on it directly, but because it ranks really well on Google as well. So people will, you know, will search for something and chances are that it was answered on Quora before. Um, so it actually gets a lot of traction. So the reason why you mentioned the seven to one ratio is quite interesting. You said it has to have at least you know, seven times more followers than answers. And when people follow a question on Quora, and there is a new answer popping up, they actually get notified, right? When the new answer is there. True. And so if, and so if people, if you follow somebody and they write an answer, then, um, now get notified. And I mean, that's very, very powerful. And they also include you in your digest as well. Um, and that goes out to tons and tons of people. Um, I've been included in digests that have gone out to like a million people. It's basically like just like an email newsletter and they include your answer in there, which to me is just crazy. I'm like, wow. Um, and the amount of traffic that it's driven, it's just been insane, to be honest. I've, I've just never seen anything like it. And it's open game right now. I don't think it'll be that way forever. And it's not stopping anytime soon. I know Quora just raised a new round. I think they raised, I don't know if it was like $50 million or something. Mm-hmm. But it was quite a bit of money. So they're not going away anytime soon. So Josh, you were saying to find, to find the right answer, and I, I find that pretty interesting. Uh, so whether it's on Quora or something else, try to find an interesting question that you can answer that is followed by a lot of people, and a lot of answers that are already there are pretty mediocre or bad, right? Then you say to make yourself memorable. So I like that you're using kind of the set Godin, the purple cow type of methodology where if everybody is answering a specific way, you would go against the grain and answer it in a kind of a controversial manner, uh, which is quite cool. And then using images, writing well. But I like this tactic, and this is the reason why I wanted to talk to you about it, because I think that not everybody is able to do it. And to do it well, it's not like Instagram automation, where you can just li- literally pay 20 quid a month and, and you can automate your stuff. <laughs> so uh, true. Um, so that's, that's one I wanted to talk to you. Now, let's talk about the future of marketing briefly. You, you started to talk about it the last few minutes, but what do you think marketers should learn today 
that will help them in the next 20, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? So I know I talked about like copywriting and video editing. I think the most underrated skill is just moving on from failure extremely fast. Now, this sounds sort of strange, but you have to be very self-aware. For example, let's say um, I'm working at a software company. I don't like my job. I don't feel like I'm growing very much. That right there is a test, right? That's like my framework of how do you find a good job? So it's like that. Is, I had a low-hanging fruit. I took it at this company. Now move on to the next one and see if that company fits you better. And I see very few marketers do this. I think part of it is because they're not willing to fail. They're not willing to waste like several hundred dollars on Facebook ads to see if something performs better. You'd rather just use what exists. Uh, for example, I've come into companies and they're spending like $40,000 on Facebook ads. And I'll slash that to $20,000 and get the same results in a matter of like 20 minutes just by changing their copy. And I, nothing special, just their copy. And it's because their head of marketing, VP of marketing, is just never want to like actually take a risk and throw out some copy. Like they rather work with like an agency that just does it one way over and over again. And to me, that's insane. <laughs> But this is, but that's what it is. And that's crazy to me. So there are opportunities everywhere for marketers. I feel like very few of them see it and moving on from failure. Yeah, I wish more of them did that in all honesty, but it's hard. It is hard. So just you, you said one thing that is quite interesting. So usually you would see Facebook ads or Instagram ads or whatever, and you would kind of usually the, the copy will be really bad and you will change it. So can you tell us briefly about what you would typically change or the type of thing you would add? Yeah, so one of the biggest things I see on Facebook is copy that goes after pain point, benefit, and solution. So the pain point would be, do you want to send, uh, like, do your emails get low de deliverability rates? Uh, then use our X software to get deliverability rates that will destroy your competitors, you know, something like that. And people don't want that on Facebook. They want to be entertained, to be honest. Uh, they want to feel like they're discovering. Now, that's sort of been the go-to method forever is this uh, benefit, solution, pain point type of copy. But you have to go after entertainment. For example, um, I ran this ad that got featured in Inc. Magazine because it went viral. And all I did was play to something funny in San Francisco's culture. So I know tech bros, uh, this phrase is really big here and people talk about it all the time. They think it's really funny. And I was like, oh, why don't I just throw this into the copy and I'll make it even funnier by saying that our service is not for tech bros, even though tech bros were our main customer. <laughs> so I said, like, if you're a tech bro, like, then this is not for you type of thing. And it just like blew up and it had nothing to do with like the pain point, the benefit of the product, but it drove down our cost per lead uh, like crazy. And it's just because it was entertaining. Um, that's what people want to see. So the reason why the, the cost per, per lead uh, went down is because the quality score went up, I suppose, and also that more people would click on it because of it, right? Exactly. And people actually trust companies more that are funny. So if someone comments below, oh, this is so funny, then they're like, oh, wow, these people are smart. And if they think you're smart, they think you're more trustworthy. 
That's a very good tactic as well. So the last question I wanted to ask you today would be, if you had to pick three resources to help the listeners, you know, to get better at their job and to improve their skills, what would they be? Could they, they could be books, podcasts, conferences, whatever you want. So I'm not a big fan of suggesting resources because like, then I'll just suggest my Facebook group, right? <laughs> yeah, that's one. Uh, not, <laughs> that's one. And then, you know, one of the books that I thought was really cool and changed the way that I think about community and leading community comes from uh, this writer named Leo Tolstoy. He's the most famous Russian writer. And Gandhi, Martin Luther King were both huge fans of his work. And that's why I got into it. And there's... Uh, really big fans of this one book called The Kingdom of God is Within You. It has like this big name, you know. It's not like a religious book or anything. It's really just about how you should provide value to people. And that was the first book that really just drove home that I need to be working on providing value. Well, that's the first time it has ever been mentioned. And I've never heard of it before. So thanks for sharing that. Just to go back to your Facebook group, it's called Badass Marketers and Founders. It's... Mm -hmm private now so what's the crack with that as we say in Ireland <laughs> so you know it, like starting your own Facebook group is almost like being a founder again because um, if you're trying to monetize it you're trying to make money from it so you can keep it going the management is, is very difficult just because you're constantly cross-checking like people's profiles who are requesting as soon as I made it private and this wasn't even that long ago I had it like 400 requests since for people to join the group it's so funny because um, I made it private and part of it was to monetize it and just to save it at work. It didn't work uh, the way I planned out, to be honest. And I think that's sort of like the beauty of it is like figuring it out. I had a feeling it wouldn't work out, but I also want to test it. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, I, I, if I have an advice to give you, I want you to, to tell you that. I mean, it's just my two cents. But uh, there is, you know, Dan Norris, uh, who wrote uh, The Seven Day Startup. Uh, he's an Australian marketer, and he basically did pretty much the same thing, the same discovery. So he had a free public Facebook group, and then he created another private Facebook group that is just based on uh, like the super profiles, like people who are very good contributors and who also had a lot of value to add to people. So he basically let the Facebook public group as the way for people to discover what he does. And then created a private community with a Slack uh, channel, a private Facebook group with only like really selected few. And I think I've seen this model a few times. So maybe that's where that's where you're planning to go. But I think that's where the, the value is. Because, yeah, if you want to start charging for a group that used to be free, uh, yeah, a lot of people would say, mm, not cool. Yeah, very true. And I think it was also... I'm so used to going against the grain. So I saw what they did and I said, hey, what if this does work out? You know, <laughs> like who knows, right? And I've had many of those times that like happened to be true because people just don't ask enough like basic questions, right? Like what if you send an email to ask someone to join a Facebook group? Facebook groups and emails have been around for five years, right? Mm -hmm. At least. So <laughs> at least. <laughs> so I'm just like thinking about it, you know, I'm sure there are other ways to monetize, but I, you know, I really want mine to be unique. I don't want mine to be like everybody else's. Yeah. And, I want, and that way it'll stand out even more. So like really, as Seth Godin says with the purple cow, just like, I think it's already a bit of a purple cow, but really just emphasize that just like one last time. Yeah, I agree. Um, actually, I did interview Seth Godin for the podcast. The episode is live now. 
at the time we were recording that, the time this episode is going to be published, the Seth Godin one will be published as well. But I think there's a, just briefly to, to wrap up, I think there's a difference between being remarkable for the sake of it and being remarkable and adding value at the same time. And that's, I think that's what you do pretty well. So don't, I would say, if you can, if I can give you advice, would be to keep doing both because that's what you've been doing so well, adding value. But I wouldn't think about monetizing. I don't like this verb, but I don't think it makes sense. I think you need to keep adding more value and it's going to be natural to, to start charging for some of it. But yeah, I'll keep being a member of the group for sure. I'll keep supporting you anywhere I can. Let me know what I can do for you. And thanks again so much for your time. That's been really valuable. A lot of good tactics, a lot of good debate around specific topic. Uh, so thank you. I appreciate it. You know, thank you for having me on. Uh, it's been a blast. No problem, man. Talk to you soon. Cheers. That's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. And this is the moment where I tell you to subscribe to our email list. So before you leave and go to another podcast or listen to another episode, I don't treat email lists uh, the way people usually treat their email list. I really treat that as a, as a one-to-one conversation. So I'm going to send you very short and personal emails every two weeks, I would say. We, I'll inform you of guests in advance. I'll share with you my numbers and how many listens we get and I'll also ask you for your feedback in terms of the questions we can ask future guests and perhaps I can also uh, have you on the show uh, someday so don't be afraid to subscribe I'm not going to spam you and you can always unsubscribe for sure if you wish the second thing we need from you is your harsh and honest feedback we know that this show is not perfect yet and we always Uh, can improve so you can send us your email at feedback at everyonehatesmarketers.com good or bad please feel free to send me an email and the last thing I like uh, from you is that if you did like the episode please share it to your friends your colleagues or whoever might like it and also please review it on iTunes or another service that you might use to listen to your podcast because if you leave us a five-star review it means that more people will be likely to listen and we can spread the word quicker So thank you so much once again and au revoir. And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? 
brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy to the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.